What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Split Happens. A pair of underdog plays on the ice get home on a 2-2 two two night in the NHL. That covers the college hoops bets that go 2-3. and three. We'll look back at how it all shook down on Thursday, including pressing the panic button on a future Hall of Famer in Montreal. Then it's a breakdown of Thursday in college basketball, how one team lost more than just a unit with a home court collapse. Finally, I'll get you set for Saturday in the NCAA, my projected spreads for the games and the big conferences this weekend. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to the window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. Yeah, we're going to start with let's do that hockey today, just because we're going to get it out of the way, quite frankly. Uh, Nothing to play tonight uh, with no teams in the Central Division or North Division in action. So a rare night off. Uh, You know, part of the reason why we split the league in half, essentially, and focused on only one half is... For one, COVID-19, you're going to have a lot of uh, you know, cancellations, postponements, all of that kind of stuff. You have to try to keep up with different COVID updates and guys being in and out of the lineup. And I didn't really want anything to do with having to, on a daily basis, plow through four different models. And we're only working with two different models at this point. Um, also, the NHL is every damn day. And I didn't really feel like going into it with right in the middle of the college basketball season and then, you know, eventually the Masters and eventually NBA playoffs. So it looks like those two things are going to sort of align. Didn't really want to have to deal with 30 different NHL teams here. And so uh, we just decided not to. And that's uh, gives us nights off like tonight. And it's a Friday night. So that's awesome. Right, like these are the things that need to be built into your betting schedule. Days off, nights off, and when it comes to the NHL, given it's just constant, uh, it was it's nice to sort of have uh, you know be able to put that aside. Just put that aside for a day. We're gonna be back. Saturdays are obviously nuts. Sundays as well. This uh, this season, a lot more Sunday games than it felt like there has been over the last uh, well, listen, few years. And so last night was a good one, Um, not a great one necessarily. Um, We get Calgary and Ottawa, Ottawa home with the the underdog price there. Same thing with Detroit, which was nice to see. Uh, Didn't have Sam Gagne getting a hat trick, didn't have that in my handicap, Um, but we'll take it. Pekka Rinne, surprise starter for me. I thought Saros was going to play. I think the Predators potentially cost themselves in a couple of different ways. Now, this is getting a little hockey, you know, deep here, um, away from just sort of model talk. But, you know, talked about it. Like, Saros, if he plays yesterday, one, he's more rested than the 38-year-old Pekka who had been playing great up until that point. And two, they've got a back-to-back this weekend that they're going to be, need, you know, needing the uh, Rene certainly for one if not two and now you've got Rene who just gave up two really really bad goals against Detroit so don't get me wrong here this wasn't any sort of Detroit domination situation this was Detroit playing the same way that they always play 
you know, super defensively, try to keep the score down, and them getting a couple of ridiculous goals. And we'll take them because, you know, Lord knows we've been on the wrong side of some pretty ridiculous goals this season. So now they've lost that game to Detroit, so they don't even get any points there. And who's to say they were necessarily going to by putting Saros in? But now they go to the weekend, and you've got a Pecorine who has been, you know, obviously was good up until last night, and you've got Saros who hasn't played in well over a week. So to me, just an absolute strategic disaster when it comes uh, to the Nashville Predators. So going to have to write about that this weekend on the Action Network app um, and theactionnetwork.com. And then Ottawa, I mean, you couldn't peg that sort of any better, to be completely honest, right? We talked about the different goaltending options. Obviously, Markstrom not ready to go. Not surprising since he wasn't even the backup on Wednesday night. Um, David Riddick comes in, had played great against Toronto, had stood on his head, and now you're going to send him out there on a second night in a row, travel, all of that sort of thing, and he doesn't make it through two periods. So not remotely uh, surprising from that standpoint. A little bit surprising. We're always kind of surprised when Ottawa takes advantage of this type of you know situation and actually does really well with it. That being said, 6-1, to one, more than enough there. So we get a couple of plus money winners there. We're up to uh, 2.8 uh, units, essentially. And we give a couple back. Columbus and Chicago. I mean, Columbus at this point, it just has to be on the no bet list of any kind. You cannot expect Columbus to essentially do anything. Pretty surprised. Corpusalo actually hung in there. He had been a pretty automatic over up uh, up until yesterday. So we don't get there with the over five and a half as that game was scoreless. I really think there should be a promotion. And this wouldn't have been the situation last night, but there really should be a promotion for sports books. When I open my sports book. Um, I would have fun things like if you bet an over in a hockey game and the score is 0-0 through regulation, you get your money back. Like you're, it's sort of the booby prize, right? You get you're so bad that you get your money back. In this case, wouldn't have been wouldn't have been that because Chicago ended up scoring a goal. Um, I think midway through the third, added another late and get the two nothing uh, win there. So. Um, you know, not great from that standpoint. Uh, and then the surprise, the real bummer of the night was Montreal. And it looked like we had it, right? 2 nothing. Montreal, Joel Armia, former Jet, he scores a couple of goals. Um, they're, you know, l- feels like they're playing a little looser, a little more wide open style of hockey. And if you're Claude Julien, you're probably sitting there just, you know, cackling away because the quote-unquote wide open style turns into a 5-3-6-3 type of a game and Montreal wasn't able to get it done they weren't able to hang on to the 2-0 lead and in part because Carey Price is giving up some soft goals and it's happening on a nightly basis at this point and so you're looking at this guy as you know again a future Hall of Famer but we talk about all of these teams with you know, incumbent veteran goaltenders, whether it was last season with like the Washington Capitals, with the ongoing saga of the Nashville Predators, or even the short-term Detroit Red Wings situation with Thomas Grice and uh, Jonathan Bernier. Bernier, again, very good last night, by the way. And these teams, and, and like, it's it happens all the time. And this is why you can't invest anything into goaltending. It's why the Canucks let Markstrom go because they didn't want to get wrapped up into somebody for four or five years and have this exact same a lot of these teams are facing. And that's with the incumbent goaltender, the guy who, you know, got them deep into the playoffs a few years ago, the guy who's been with the team for 10 years. These guys, 
you know, they're sort of the last ones to know, right? And the teams that they're on are sort of the last ones to know that it's kind of over for them as that, you know, top tier, top level goaltender. And so, you know, the funny thing is like Montreal has Jake Allen. And again, the way that goaltenders work is it's very rare that a rookie goaltender comes in and he plays really, really well. A lot of the times they need a couple of years of development. Like it has to be a very patient type thing. Again, I'll reference Markstrom, who was in the league for three, four years before getting quote unquote good. <laughs> and it was just like they could see the talent. He was a relatively high draft selection, relatively high prospect in the same way Jake Allen was, you know, playing on Team Canada, the World Juniors, et cetera, et cetera. And so he sort of, I don't want to say flunks out necessarily, but like, you know, St. Louis didn't need him as they grabbed Jordan Bennington, who, you know, has his, had his own issues last year after a, I don't want to say sort of flash in the pan regular season, you know, rookie season, but even him, right? It's not like he had a, he had a rookie season, but it was not like he was 22 years old. So, you know, that's a perfect sort of a roundabout way to sort of describe how goaltending works, right? You can be not thought of particularly highly in the way that uh, Bennington was, and you can be thought of highly like the way Jake Allen was, and it, certain development takes different lengths of time. And I don't know that if they just handed the reins to J Jake Allen here, and this is, you know, the season of all seasons where you want two goaltenders because you're playing every second night and you could easily split games 28-28 in a 56-game season without this uh, level of rest. Now in the North Division, you know, you're going to get four or five days off here and there because of the odd numbers of the teams but to just put Carey Price in for two-thirds, for three-quarters of the games here, I think at this point, is becoming irresponsible. And I tweeted out that they need to have some awkward conversations <clears throat> about Carey Price in Montreal uh, because, you know, you're going to lose too many games here. And, and you can blame the sort of bad call or the sketchy call on the Gallagher goal against Ottawa um, all you want. But if that game's 4-1, to one, it doesn't come to that. Right. And Carey Price, I don't want to say should have, you know, made that a four to one game. But I think a lot of goaltenders um, who are showing better form right now, um, that would be the case. So awkward times in Montreal. Um, we'll see sort of, you know, what the plays are for this weekend. Obviously, they're not playing tonight. Um, so a two and two split in the NHL turns into like a very slight profit, which, again, can't go break broke turning a profit. You know, that's fine. Um, on top of that, we'll switch over here into college basketball because, again, nothing uh, for hockey tonight. Um, obviously, I will tweet out anything for the weekend when it comes to the NHL. Going to do a handful of previews for Saturday and Sunday as well. So you'll be able to find that at Authentic on Twitter. So as far as college basketball is concerned, two and three night. So the profits that we made in, the ho in hockey last night, we gave right back. In college basketball, you know, breaking up, uh, you know, would, would have been a third straight day um, of profitability in college hoops with a two and three night. And the two wins, um, you know, relatively easy ones, uh, nice Oregon road win, that sort of from a bigger picture standpoint, if, you know, you factor them winning, bumping up their chances and uh, bumping up their seeding for the NCAA tournament then that's almost worth a little bit extra, right? If you had to have one win from yesterday, uh, I would have certainly selected uh, our Oregon Ducks. Um, as for the loss, uh, 
Uh, well, I probably should mention Michigan dump trucking Iowa. That was kind of hilarious. Um, in that, you know, Michigan opens minus four. I talked yesterday about how uh, we grabbed Michigan the night before and then how it moved to five and five was still a number. And then I got a tweet from a listener uh, talking about, you know, like how hard, how do we, how high do we go with this at five and a half? And, you know, I, I answered back. I was like, you know, when we're talking five, five and a halves, like those are such key numbers when it comes to basketball, you know, in the, from free throw shooting at the end, it's like, I'm really don't like to have, you know, to be sitting here with minus four and you've got minus five and a half and the game just happens to land five and a half. Like that puts me in sort of an awkward position because, you know, I obviously don't want to be quote unquote celebrating, not that we do a ton of celebrating necessarily here, but like, I don't want to be celebrating a Michigan minus four win when, you know, you're sitting there with minus five and a half. If you have minus five and it's a push, like, okay, we shrug our shoulders and that's kind of a bummer. Um, but at least there isn't a loss in there, right? We don't want things to go from a win to a loss just because we got, uh, you know, a little late on the number. And so the good news was that Michigan was down for a fair amount of the first half and they were available quite frequently at minus four, minus four and a half in the live markets, even a little bit better than that at one point, um, depending on sort of where you were looking. So thanks to John McPhail for that sort of question um, on Twitter yesterday. Um, anyway, they end up absolutely destroying Iowa in the second half and that's what Michigan does, right? They, they are the, I would say, well, I guess Baylor obviously would be that combination too, but I was going to say they were the best combination of offense and defense in college basketball right now. And maybe it's, you know, the offense isn't necessarily as good. Obviously it's not as good as Gonzaga or necessarily Baylor sort of depending on, you know, when you're catching Baylor, but the defense is organized and when it's organized and they shut it down like it's it's something to behold and it, that's what you know in a weird way that's honestly what makes the Ohio State performance in a loss on Sunday even more impressive because they took you know you know Michigan's always going to have good defense right it's going to travel as they say and the idea that Michigan had that high level of scoring as well in that game and you're sitting there going like, how is Ohio State in this game? They're taking full-scale punches um, on a couple of different levels from Michigan, who are obviously top 10 in both offense and defense, and are going to bring that on a nightly basis. And if you're Iowa, you can hang in for a half, but if you're not a team that plays defense, you're not going to be able to grind with Michigan. And that's what happened in the second half as Michigan kept scoring and Iowa didn't and they get there relatively easy. As for the losses, Utah at home to UCLA gets blown out. That was a really surprising and frankly disappointing result for Utah. Not that they're necessarily playing for a ton here, not even close to the bubble, but a home game against a decent team. And listen, UCLA missing a couple of guys from you know what they thought they were going to be at the start of the season um, did sort of feel right for an upset. I was wrong on that one. Uh, and then the other two losses and you know listen Minnesota minus four and a half you know again out two two starters we we're hoping it was only going to be the one in Calcher but out two starters but you're on the bubble here and it's Northwestern and it's at home and you're and you know it's one thing to say you know you're at home and be like oh well you know there's no crowd you know uh, home court isn't that much this season look at the splits for Minnesota right? Like home court matters to Minnesota. They're atrocious on the road. They've lost essentially, you know, they lost to Illinois at home over the weekend without those two starters. They were never going to win that game, but it's Northwestern. Northwestern is terrible. 
and you're on the bubble here. This is not a game that you can lose. And you have a half, six-point halftime lead here, and we got minus four and a half, so we just go, okay, a little bit more of this. Let's stretch it out to get a double-digit win, and let's keep hope alive here if you're Minnesota. Well, now it's get out of here, right? Right now it is you are out, and you're not coming back. And so the vindictive part of me at least says, well, okay, at least they blew their entire season <laughs> if they're going to cost us a bet. And I know that sort of sounds like a dick move here, but we're talking about sports betting. And frankly, I could care less about the Minnesota Golden Gophers um, from a macro standpoint. We've been on the Gophers uh, at home a fair amount this season and done pretty well. We've done pretty well fading them on the road. So in a lot of ways, it's more I'm not even mad. I'm just disappointed because we had been doing so well in Gopher games this season. So you know, I'm sure they're sitting around kicking themselves, and I tweeted out. It felt like they literally grabbed a stamp, threw it on, on an envelope, took their NCAA tournament, you know, big dance ticket, and mailed it directly to East Lansing because Michigan State goes and they get a home win against Ohio State. And this wasn't a flat situation for Ohio State. They played very well. Michigan State's playing really good basketball right now. And I don't know that they're the most talented team. In fact, I'm quite certain that they're not. But when it comes to basketball and the chemistry of basketball, you have to find the best lineups that work for you. And, you know, maybe that means going untraditional where you don't have, you know, a particular point guard or you don't have a big man, right? We've gotten to the point here in, in you know, this generation of basketball of quote-unquote positionless basketball that, you know, having a subpar point guard out there just for the sake of having a point guard doesn't really do you any good because he's going to get taken advantage of whether it's offensively because people don't believe he can drive it or they don't believe he can shoot it or defensively when he's just going to get matched up against somebody who's far more talented and so when it comes to Michigan State it's like okay is a good enough coach that he's tweaked the lineup he's made some moves and all of a sudden he's found that magic lineup and it's sort of a mid-level you know small ball type of thing where he's not you know, dragging some big guy out there the whole time, but he's also not playing with a quote-unquote traditional point guard. Because let's be honest, all you need a point guard for is to get the ball down the court. And in this day and age, like there's enough offenses that don't necessarily just rely on driving and kicking from a point guard, then they do, you know, a, a quote-unquote two guard, a three, you know, like these guys can all kind of do that if they have versatile skills. And that's what Michigan State players have right like they don't have terrible players it's a similar story with duke only duke's going to focus more on shooting because they have that in spades and so you see michigan state and duke play 10 15 games and we're going like this team doesn't look pretty particularly good because they also don't have that key centerpiece type of a guy right whether it's cassius winston or, you know, going back to the Denzel Valentine era, like there isn't that guy who's going to sort of take over the game. And maybe there is a guy that ends up sort of evolving and becoming that guy. And, you know, maybe that's Lankford, uh, you know, maybe that's Henry, who knows. But that's the type of thing that you have to figure out in 15, 16 games. Now, in a normal season, those, you know, first at least 10 to 12 games are non-conference games. There's a lot of real garbage teams on that and you know you'll get the two or three sort of bigger ish type uh non-conference matchups most of the time obviously when we're talking about duke and michigan state specifically we're talking about champions classic and you know those teams all play each other kansas and kentucky and it kind of doesn't really matter who wins those games because at the end of the year you're going to be like okay well they lost the champions classic way back when but like that's not really going to affect things 
when it comes to the season. It's just good tape for the coaches to have against good quality opponents where they then go and they, you know, play directional state four times and they end up blowing that, you know, those teams out, but they get to try all these different lineups. But with this year, when you've only got six, seven, eight non-conference games and you only have sort of, you know, you have two weeks off here and there because of COVID related issues and you're taking practices and, you know, you're not in game situations and you don't get to see, you know, what your different combinations are. And because it's basketball, like, yes, we always talk about, okay, the you know, best player on the court, that team's often going to win or has a significant advantage, but those teams lose all the time. And when you look at Duke, again, we're sort of circling back to Duke here, but I just referenced the examples for Michigan State, but you look at Duke and you go, RJ Barrett, Zion Williamson, it's like, okay, like those guys are great. And you can visually see how good those players are. And that's what sort of rises the hype and your regard for that team that year. But as I talked about with Ted on Tuesday, like the Duke teams that win it are the ones that don't really have NBA guys, that just have a collection of guys who know how to move the ball around, who play defense, and you know who get open shots. Because anybody, and we'll talk about this more as the tournament gets closer, Anybody can make open shots. Any team that's going to be in this tournament can make open shots. And so if you're going to give them open shots, anybody can beat anybody. So part of it is just defensive intensity. And so, you know, whether we're talking about a Duke team that's maybe not as talented, but they're making open shots, or a Michigan State team that's playing with a little bit more intensity and a little bit more chemistry, these are the teams that you have to watch out for. And that's why sort of hopping into the NCAA basketball season in February isn't necessarily that bad of a thing because you don't get poisoned by this concept. If as long as you sort of keep your ears closed in a lot of ways, you don't get this, you know, you don't get poisoned by watching Duke stink over and over and over again for a dozen games or so. You get to hop in and go, okay, well, let's watch them a couple of times here. And now you get this version of, oh, okay, like Michigan State's actually pretty good here. And if Ohio State's a top five team in the country, which, you know, as you know, like they've been in our portfolio here for a while, you know, I think they are, or at least they're sort of a, a top five valuable team relative to their price, or at least what it was when we gave out that 50 to one uh, back in the end of January. Yeah, you know, you're like, okay, well, they can play with Ohio State. And that's why I sort of make the comparison. And poor Missouri, I suppose, is going to get, you know, is going to be the example here, I think, for the next couple of weeks where I go, if Missouri's in the tournament and they're a six seed, Michigan State needs to be in the tournament. Duke needs to be in the tournament, this version of. Now, again, both teams may end up losing a handful of games here down the stretch. Michigan State still have to play, has to play Michigan a couple of times, maybe even a third time in a couple of weeks uh, in the Big Ten tournament, but we'll see. And so uh, all that is to say, to circle back to Minnesota, is that Minnesota, you know, looking a lot like Missouri last night, even in a worse situation where losing at home to Northwestern isn't quite losing at home to Ms., uh, Mississippi the way that Missouri did, um, but it's still pretty brutal. And then finally, even then, we sort of had a swing game to the to end the night. Washington State at Arizona. Washington State plus nine uh, goes by the wayside. It's a one-point game in the second half, you know, 16-ish minutes to go. So Washington State's, hand, you know, hanging in there with Arizona. And then Arizona just frankly blows them away in uh, in the last 16 minutes of the game. You know, you go through the box score and, you know, you got a guy in uh, Williams who had 40 points against Stanford, um, was making everything uh, on Saturday, and then he shoots 2 of 15 and 1 of 8 
and you go, okay, <laughs> obviously uh, gave some back as far as uh, as percentage-wise um, on his shooting. And Isaac Bonton, guy that we talk about a fair amount, strangely enough, on Washington State, who's a key player on that team, he ends up playing for the first time in a couple of games, but he only plays 19 minutes. He gets one basket, you know, one assist, doesn't even start. So again, we're trying to tread water here and figure out who's going to play in these games and how much they're going to matter. And so, you know, uh, the fact he plays really doesn't do that much for us because he wasn't sort of himself. And, uh, you know, if that is that what made the difference down the stretch? You know, who knows, right? It might have been an 11-point game if he played and played well. Uh, but between those two guys, sort of not contributing in any meaningful way, and in the case of Williams, really being more harmful than good, then yeah, Washington State was not going to be able to stay in that game. But even as they were, it was still what thirty-one thirty, um, you know, early on in the second half. So again, two and three uh, in college hoops. Um, next up, we're going to get into the Saturday stuff here, and uh, basically how it works is I give the matchups, I give what my number is. You can grab a pen and pencil, uh, pen or pencil. You don't have to have both. That would be weird. Um, and sort of write that down. Last week, it was hitting at like 75%. Um, I certainly didn't bet them all. <laughs> we went 11 and 4 on sort of the official actual bets, but a good four more of those that were almost too far off for me to play, especially in the Pac-12. So uh, no guarantees, obviously, as far as being able to replicate that this weekend. Um, but what are we going to do if we're not going to try, Right. Uh, so Michigan goes on the road to Indiana here. Uh, I've got this as Michigan minus four and a half on the road. Um, there's a very real possibility that's higher than that just because like Michigan is just cashing for people left, right, and center. And obviously the, you know, not the last we saw of Indiana necessarily, but we saw last Saturday that, you know, similar situation where they, well, no, I shouldn't say a similar situation because they were actually the favorite by quite a bit. I think it was six or seven by the end of it um, against Michigan State. And of course we look back at that now and going like, oh my God, how did we not bet Michigan State? Uh, we didn't bet that game at all. Um, but so I can see this being a little bit higher and then you'd have to sort of, you know, really have some faith in backing Indiana here. But I think the quote unquote fair numbers four and a half, if that's not what it's actually going to be, I would completely understand that. Um, if it ends up being lower than that, to be honest with you, I think we got to bet Michigan. Uh, Texas and Texas Tech here. I've got Texas Tech as a three-point favorite. Um, impressed with Texas against Kansas. You know, didn't end up playing it. And honestly, if you've been following along the podcast like mega close this week, and you've, <laughs> you've obviously probably haven't just played the leans or the games that I talk about maybe betting and then I don't end up doing it. I'm pretty sure those are like 7-0, 8-0 at this point. Um, there might be one loss in there, but I kind of don't think so. And that's my own stupidity because we added to one last night with Colorado um, absolutely dominating USC. And I was like, oh, I don't want to take minus three. And it moved to minus three and a half. Still, you know, obviously didn't want to take that at the bad number. And of course, like the Michigan game, didn't matter one iota. Um, at any rate, uh, I've got Texas Tech minus three in this game against Texas. Impressed with their win at home against Kansas. I don't know that that means I want to back them going on the road here. I'm certainly leaning Texas Tech in this one, but minus three is sort of the point where I wouldn't want to back Texas Tech in this one because I'm just, I'm not there with Texas Tech. We've talked about this before, maybe even in this um, exact same episode last week where they just don't have that guy. They don't have that guy. I mean, McClung sort of tries to be that guy, but, you know, to be fair, like, 
He's just not. Um, Tennessee and Auburn here. Again, okay, so I've got Tennessee minus two and a half. That's the with Sharif Cooper number. I don't know that we're going to see Sharif Cooper the rest of the way here, so this number's probably going to be a lot higher, uh, assuming that he continues to be out. I imagine he's probably done for the season. And, you know, I don't know, right? Is he headed for the NBA this year? Is this enough for him? Point guards, you know, sometimes they stay around for an extra year, especially when he's only played half the season. Um, I don't know enough about sort of the draft Nick element and the draft rankings and all of that sort of stuff. I'd like to see him get a full season with Auburn and the uh, and the talent that you know Auburn generally has year after year uh, under Bruce Pearl. Um, so two and a half is sort of the number if he plays. I don't think that he will. So I would expect this. Honestly, I think I would play this anything under six um, if uh, if that were the case. Tennessee not exactly lighting it up either by any by any means. They got the cover against Vanderbilt the other night, but again that was without two of literally two the two best players on Vanderbilt and that game was way closer uh, in the uh, late going than the eight point spread indicated next up DePaul and Georgetown and Georgetown on the road here at DePaul uh, I've got this number at six and a half you know that feels a little bit high for me just backing Georgetown you know as a concept uh, on the road here even though it is DePaul and obviously we got bent over by DePaul earlier this week when they got smoked by Creighton and so you know to sit here and say like yeah let's get back on DePaul here if this is the number um seems a little foolish uh that being said if it's six and a half or anything higher than that I think we do actually have to play DePaul in this situation as gross as that sounds Georgia Tech and Syracuse and does it really matter what this number is because it's a Syracuse game and I don't really want anything to do with it uh my number is Syracuse minus two and a half at home against Georgia Tech obviously Georgia Tech handful of good road efforts, uh, if not just victories, certainly covers on the road this season. Um, but again, like at this point, you know, betting on against whatever Syracuse just never seems to go uh, smoothly, even if it ends up winning uh, this season. South Carolina and Georgia. And this number is going to feel a little bit high. Georgia minus six and a half. But Georgia can score, and Georgia can score with anybody. They certainly outscored LSU, and South Carolina defensively just isn't what they normally are. And so I think Georgia's going to score a ton on South Carolina, and I just don't know that South Carolina is going to keep up, and we're going to have this higher-scoring game that has you know, wider variation, wider variance possibly, right? This could be 90 to 80, which from a like scoring percentage standpoint isn't actually that bad of a loss, right? It's not nearly the same thing as losing 50 to 40 from a points percentage standpoint, if that makes any sense. Um, so we'll be looking at Georgia if this thing's anything lower than six and a half. Uh, Illinois and Wisconsin. And this is a situation, right, where we, we've seen it the last two weeks. Wisconsin at home against a good team. Michigan, Iowa, and now Illinois. Favored by one, or essentially a pick em against Michigan. Favored by one, goes to minus three against Iowa. I still don't even think that that was necessarily wrong. We've seen all we've needed to see, I think, from Iowa over the course of the year. But I think we've seen all we've needed to see from Wisconsin. I'm like, I'm not ready to back this team in this exact same situation against an Illinois team that, frankly, I like more than I liked Michigan. I like them more than I certainly have ever liked Iowa. So why would I back Wisconsin in this spot? So we'll see what this number ends up being. If Dasunmu ends up playing, which I doubt that's the case, um, 
you know, obviously didn't really talk about this with regards to him. Um, you know, classic sports betting spot where number opens at 17. Uh, word gets out that he's going to be out for the game, falls down to 13, and the land, and the number lands right in between. And so if you got that number early, if you were one of those insiders, if you will, who knew about the Nebraska, uh, knew about New Tibet Nebraska at plus 17, you certainly got the cash there. And even then, that was a mega sweat. Um, and then if you just came in and said, you know what, over uh, compensation for a guy being out, especially against a bad team in Nebraska, Illinois certainly deep enough, all things that we said on the podcast yesterday, even though I didn't actually bet the game, um, that ends up coming to fruition with Illinois covering minus 13. Uh, LSU and Arkansas. Arkansas I've got here is a four and a half point uh, favorite. This is probably going to be a little bit low, so I'm probably going to be on LSU. Arkansas gets the win at home against Alabama. Obviously a much better team than LSU. LSU goes on the road, loses to Georgia, a much worse team than Arkansas. And so obviously you sort of put those two things together and you go, okay, well, Arkansas is going to romp in this game. And maybe they do. They've certainly won a handful of games here in a row, what, nine straight, something along those lines. I think LSU is live in this game. I think they're going to, you know, have a, again, high variance shootout type of a game here first one to 90 type of situation uh and i think it's possible that lsu wins the game so if the number is a little bit higher than four and a half anything obviously higher than four and a half uh i'll be taking lsu miami and clemson and you know first of all we're steering clear of miami under any circumstances at this point um Clemson minus eight and a half is my number, which of course you just sort of reject out of hand that Clemson could be an eight and a half point favorite against anybody. But that's where we're at here with regards to this Miami team. So probably a stay away. We'll see where this number actually ends up. If it's a little bit lower, if it's six and a half, something along those lines with Clemson, then I think you just have to take it based on a Miami fade. And if it's higher than that, if you have the nuts to take Miami, God bless you, but not for me. Um, very similar type situation here. Boston College, they're still playing basketball. They fired the coach. They've had multiple COVID issues. They've played with like four guys, um, and yet they're still out there. So, you know, I can't make Notre Dame higher than like a five-point favorite on the road because Notre Dame just frankly not good enough to be. But what version of Boston College are we possibly going to get? Are we going to get the full team again here? Because we haven't seen that in months. And so a lot of things sort of moving pieces with that. But if you take all the numbers from early on in the season, I've got this as a four and a half point Notre Dame road favorite. Now, I understand that's probably going to end up being low based on the fact that BC, especially, you know, with all the COVID issues, could this number could be nine and a half. This is, you know, we're just sort of making up numbers by and large at this point. Uh, Marquette and UConn here, uh, another sort of... Tr- game here where James Booknight can get back into the action. Uh, I've got this at minus five and a half. It's probably going to be higher than that because people do have a consideration here um, for UConn at this point. But Marquette goes on the road and beats North Carolina. And so that's going to skew things for me, dropping this number down to five and a half. And by and large, UConn's numbers aren't really based on having Booknight for much of the season. And so you know, it's a tough spot here because you go, okay, well, I've, you know, we have information from Marquette. It's not all particularly great, but they did well against North Carolina. And you don't have much information with this UConn team uh, with Book Knight back, right? It's been sort of flashes of brilliance at this point because he's not fully 
you know, ready for quote unquote 40 minutes of basketball. So we'll see where this number ends up, but that one could be a little bit wonky. Uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. And so I've got Oklahoma power rated higher than Texas Tech. Texas Tech on Monday was a three point road favorite at Oklahoma State. So ipso facto, you would think Oklahoma would be about a three and a half, four point favorite at the very least against Oklahoma State. I just don't see that being the case here. So, I mean, my number's you know, Oklahoma minus one and a half given the adjustment off of the win, but that could have just as easily, you know, double overtime game could have just as easily have been a Texas Tech win. And maybe we're sitting here back again with Oklahoma as, you know, again, a three, three and a half point favorite here. So it'll be interested to see where this number ends up. Uh, Washington and Arizona, Arizona minus nine and a half is my number. Again, like they're going to get credit for blowing out Washington State last night, but again, like a lot had to go wrong from a Washington State roster standpoint for Arizona to be able to pull away in the second half. That being said, Washington was not a very good team here. I wouldn't be surprised if this number is a little bit higher. If this is like two or three points higher and we're looking at an Arizona like minus 12, 12 and a half situation, that's probably going to trigger a bet on Washington for me, and it's probably going to be miserable. Uh, Mississippi uh, and Vandy here, again, are we going to get those guys back for Vanderbilt? Talked about it two nights ago. Mystery disappearance from uh, Disu and Pippen. Not a fully disappearance. They were on the bench. Uh, apparently had gotten hurt at some point. <clears throat> sure. Why they need, these guys need to sit out, I don't know, but that's where we're at here at the end of the season with these teams that are ceasing to really give a bleep. So, I mean... Why would I want to back Vandy at this point? And even though the number, my numbers make it three and a half here for Mississippi, uh, again, if it's just going to be the B team out there for Vanderbilt, I expect the number to be higher. And I don't really want anything to do with Mississippi at like a five and a half point road favorite as much as they got the win in Missouri the other night. Kansas State and West Virginia. West Virginia's got to be, at the very least here, a 12.5 point favorite. It would normally be higher, but Kansas State has played much better in the last little bit here, right? Going on the road, getting a win against TCU, uh, beating Oklahoma the other night, which is something that we didn't really talk about because we didn't have a bet in that game, but a 10-point underdog in Kansas State that was yet another one of these where it was an afterthought cut essentially you know my eighth favorite bet on a night where we're betting seven games or six games or something along those lines it is what it is at least we're on the right track uh but 12 and a half point favorite west virginia here against kansas state that i think would normally be a little bit higher um but i think that's a fair adjustment it wasn't just sort of one game for kansas state florida state and north carolina really interesting game here right two teams that kind of do what they kind of do um and have a ton of big athletic guys out there banging the glass, all of that sort of thing. Uh, Florida State on the road. So I've got North Carolina as actually a tiny favorite here. Um, but I can see, like, I think Florida State ends up actually as a favorite here. And then it's just going to be a matter of, are we betting North Carolina in a bounce back situation here against a Florida State team that obviously we're really, really high on? So um, really interested to see what that line ends up as, but um, wouldn't mind grabbing North Carolina as the home underdog. And let's be honest, right? They lose to Marquette, but like, you know, the higher ups schedule that game because they think that's going to be an easy win. And certainly the market agrees, making them a nine and a half point favorite. But the players on the court, like in late February, do they really care about Marquette? I don't really think so. And I don't think as much as people talk about North Carolina being on the bubble here, 
Again, you know, we talked about it at length. It's not going to be the last time that we talk about it. These brand name teams, Michigan State in the mix now, Duke, North Carolina. You think Duke's not going to make it if they're on the bubble? You think North Carolina is going to fall off the bubble? If they're on the bubble, they're in. They're not going to be not put in for St. Bonaventure or for Richmond or for whomever. It's just, it doesn't, it, like, it's just not the, the way that the committee works. And the committee has never worked that way. And if they're going to shoehorn Syracuse in every year, they're going to shoehorn in, shoehorn in these other teams. And so this is a game that's, I think, more interesting to North Carolina from a root player standpoint. Wake Forest and Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is seven and a half point favorite here. I think Wake Forest is sneaky. Obviously, Virginia Tech off of a COVID break um, last week loses at home to Georgia Tech. That said, I think they're still considerably better than Wake Forest, and I think this number will indicate that. That said, Wake Forest has been a sneaky team. Uh, Boise State and San Diego State. San Diego State, I have as a seven and a half point favorite. You know, you're thinking to yourself, you're probably not, but um, San Diego State was minus six and a half yesterday and yes they covered but it took to overtime for them to do so by the way brutal beat if you had Boise State um I was very near betting San Diego State which again probably if it goes to overtime we're probably not getting the cover if I bet San Diego State at that point so you're welcome anybody who had San Diego State out there um but for me I make this line a little bit higher because San Diego State was in very much in control of that game certainly for the first half and I think Boise State sort of got their attention in the second half and coming in and doing the sort of back-to-back thing where they're going to play a second time, I think they've got San Diego State's attention here and I would expect a much better effort for 40 minutes for San Diego State. Florida and Kentucky, a game that every year is really, really good and now it's just kind of all right. And this Kentucky team is, you know, unfortunately I think they're too far back to even be considered on the bubble at any point here um soon but again you never know right they win five straight games here they win obviously if they win the sec tournament they're in but if they win a handful of games in the sec tournament all of a sudden they find themselves on the bubble and it's the same story if they're on the bubble they're in these teams are not going to be the last four out so florida and kentucky here florida in theory the better team kentucky obviously at home but i think kentucky might be the better team right now and i think this number is going to indicate that and i think it ends up being kentucky minus three or at least that's what my uh my number is for this game we'll see what the market thinks uh, and if the market happens to be higher on kentucky than that then i think that's just an over adjustment and if we end up getting florida plus four or something along those lines i'd be fine with that too washington state you know just talked about them are we going to get the full scale version of washington state as they go to arizona state here or what and so you know like many of these teams and again this is the season that we're in really tough to kind of track who's into it and who's not so and listen Arizona State's had guys in and out of the lineup all season long so it's the same situation there as well my number's five and a half for Arizona State here but you could talk me into anything here and I shouldn't say talk me in but like you could make an adjustment for going either way here four different guys in the lineup. Creighton and Xavier. Creighton, three and a half point road favorites here at Xavier. That might be a little bit light here, but I think Xavier at home can be a live dog here. So if it's sort of anything higher than three and a half, I would take Xavier in this situation. Bama and Mississippi State. Bama minus four and a half on the road here. Another tricky spot with a Mississippi State team that's playing a lot better. 
Alabama, a little bit dicier. They are coming off of a loss. So obviously, and you know, we saw Mississippi State obviously crush South Carolina and win on the road against Mississippi. And, you know, so are we buying high and selling, you know, or, you know are we buying high if we're betting on Mississippi State, for example? Um, or are we buying low if we get an opportunity to bet on Alabama at better than minus four and a half? That might be the case as well. Louisville and Duke, another opportunity and as crazy as it sounds, to bet on Duke here on this run. And so Louisville and Duke played a few weeks ago, good six weeks ago. Louisville is a minus three at home here. I think it's the exact same, but for Duke in this case, I've got them Duke minus three and a half. Uh, Again, if this thing gets a little higher, obviously David Johnson didn't play for Louisville this week. He needs to be in the lineup for this number to be appropriate. If he's not, then Duke's going to be favored in the five and a half, six type of range that they have been against some of these teams like a Syracuse, like uh, a Notre Dame, even when that didn't go particularly well. And again, can you believe that Duke was a six and a half, six point favorite at home against Notre Dame and it didn't cash based on everything that we know just a week and a half or so later? Like some of these are just kind of incredible to look back at. TCU and uh, Iowa State. Listen, Iowa State does not have a win yet this season in Big 12 play. If they're going to get one, it's going to be, you know, it's in theory, it's going to be either Kansas State or TCU. How high can you make TCU as a road favorite, even though, again, Iowa State hasn't won a game yet in the Big 12? I've got it at four and a half. You couldn't talk me into TCU any higher than that. Um, and if it is higher than that, then I think I, you know, Iowa State has to be a play here, right? I think the motivation to not be winless is different than some of these other teams that have packed it in down the stretch so far this season. Uh, Minnesota and Nebraska. Road game here for Minnesota. So first of all, you're leaning already to the home team. Uh, Nebraska hasn't exactly been any good, though. So Minnesota still has to be a four-point favorite here in this game at the very least. Again, maybe it ends up being a little bit lower because of that loss to Northwestern. I certainly wouldn't be surprised you know, with that. Um, I don't even want to call it an overreaction, but just maybe an appropriate reaction. Uh, so again, like I would lean to Nebraska, especially if we get a number higher than four. But again, I'm still stinging from that game last night. And in general, Minnesota's road record and just general efficiency levels and all of that kind of stuff. Oregon State and Stanford. Stanford seven and a half point favorites here, though this number has to come down, I think, a little bit based on the fact that Oscar De Silva missing the game against Oregon, pretty key element, by the way, and it's not we're not gonna you know blanch over that. Um, that you know, obviously one of Stanford's best players. It's wild. As soon as they start getting these guys back, Dejon Davis, uh, Zaire, uh, like they're just they have to end up losing somebody. Somebody has to get injured. Somebody has to miss. Like they cannot seem to have a full roster at any point for Stanford. So um, with him being out, I would expect this to be closer to like six and a half. Um, but we'll see because, again, Oregon State not exactly lighting it up either. Um, and then the big game of the night, Baylor and Kansas. And I'm just going to say it. I think Kansas wins this game. I think Baylor's undefeated season comes to an end here. Um, obviously, I still think Baylor is a better team. But you're getting some, you know, it's not going to be obviously full Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Like, that would be sick. Miss those days already. Um, but, you know, I think the number's four, four and a half here. Um, but again, I just think, you don't want to call it sort of cosmic or whatever. I just think this is that spot that, like, Baylor, because they haven't played some of these better teams in the Big 12, it looks great. 
It looks great when they win by 15 over and over and over again, or they go on the road to Texas Tech. But I think, strangely enough, for the last three weeks here, Kansas has been one of the more underrated teams in the country, had a decent lead against Texas the other night, blew that game. But I think underlying, like, that Kansas is not back necessarily, but I think they're dangerous, and I think they beat Baylor at home on Saturday. We'll be interested to see what that line is and whether any, you know, the market thinks that too, because I think the fair number is Baylor minus four and a half. But in this season, with how much sample size we have, who's to know what an actual fair number is? Uh, USC and Utah, let's get through the Pac-12 here and get you on your way. USC and Utah, I've got USC minus three and a half, bounce back spot for them. Again, really disappointed in Utah in getting trucked um, as a small underdog to UCLA. That's usually a prime Utah spot. Um, USC minus three and a half. Here is my number. We'll see where that goes, especially after Utah uh, losing, expecting Utah to win that game uh, when these numbers are sort of cooked up. Uh, UCLA and Colorado. Are we going to get a second straight good effort on the road here from UCLA? Are we going to get a second straight big time effort out of Colorado, right? It's sort of two teams that are in letdown type spots facing off against each other. We'll see what this number is. My number makes this six and a half for Colorado, which again is why I should have been betting USC, even though obviously my number was a little bit lower. I'm just higher on this Colorado team than the market in general. And that's a situation where we should be able to take advantage of. And then finally, Oregon and Cal. And is this going to be another situation? Like we saw this last weekend where Oregon gets a big win against a sort of high profile team. In that case, it was Colorado, and then they played Utah and sort of phoned it in, still won the game by three. Same situation here. Going on the road, get a big-time win against Stanford, right? Really good team, even if, again, they're one of the last four teams out or whatever. They're not obviously blue blood level, have to get them in for TV purposes the way that Duke and North Carolina are, but they're just a better team than they've showed because they haven't had all of their players, which we've talked about at length this season. So you get a big win as a, you know, short favorite, short underdog against Stanford. And then you, you're a significant favorite the next night or two nights later against Cal. I've got this number at eight. I expect it maybe to be a little bit higher than that. I'm going to take Cal this time around because again, we've seen the situation, situational element for Oregon not being all that interested in that second game after a big win. Uh, Sunday's games really quickly. Nova Butler, I have Nova minus eight and a half. Memphis, Cincinnati, I have Memphis minus four and a half. Uh, Michigan State and Maryland, I have Maryland as a tiny favorite, though I could see Michigan State being now a tiny favorite based on the win yesterday. Uh, Iowa and Ohio State, I have Ohio State as th- a three and a half point favorites. I don't think even with that truckery that Michigan had over Iowa, I don't know that you can make Ohio State bigger favorites than they were. Obviously, that line closed five and a half, so maybe this can be four, four and a half. Uh, I'll be interested in Ohio State in that game in a bounce back spot, so sort of circle that one. And then Pittsburgh, NC State, one last game that I wanted to mention because Pittsburgh has uh, two, basically their second and third leading scorer have announced that they're transferring. They couldn't wait two weeks in order to do so. And so that's obviously a big time red flag with what they're, you know, how much they care about this season the rest of the way here. Information that we wish we had known, you know, in the last couple of weeks because we would have been able to fade Pittsburgh a little bit more aggressively. So whether they're mentally not that into it for the last couple of games or they were now physically not that into it, um, I think NC State is going to be a spot to play here. I don't know how high you can necessarily make this game. You know, my numbers 
even with that adjustment, make NC State a minus six point home favorite here. I think it's probably going to be a little bit higher, but just in case it is minus six, that's worth a play for me in that game. As some of you know, in another world, in another year, this episode's twice as long because we're talking about small conference tournament games and all of that good stuff. Just not the way this year. So follow along at Emrus Authentic, and I'll see you Monday at the window. <laughs>